You're listening to ReachMDXM, the channel for medical professionals. Despite the aging of the population, little is known about the sexual behaviors and sexual function of older people. Need I remind you that that is where many of us as baby boomers are headed? How about if I tell you that they're amazingly sexually active? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, your host, and with me today is Dr. Stacy Tesler Lindau, Assistant Professor, Departments of OBGYN and Geriatric Medicine at the University of Chicago Pritzker School of Medicine. Dr. Lindau is the author of many research articles and recently published a study in the New England Journal of Medicine, August 23rd, some original work entitled A Study of Sexuality and Health Among Older Adults in the United States. Today we're discussing the sexual behavior and function of older people. Thanks for making the time to talk with us today, Dr. Lindau. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So tell us, how did you get involved in sexual research? My interest in sexuality research began as a medical student, and it really came from an observation that I made uh, while learning to take the general history from a patient. Our preceptors in medical school taught us that asking the sexual history was an important component of patients' health history, and I believed them. And I asked those questions and frequently found patients' responded with a statement to the effect that nobody had ever asked them these questions before. They were rarely embarrassed, and these were usually older patients uh, with whom we were working, and they usually answered the questions in a forthright way. When I observed my teachers modeling the ideal patient history, I noticed that they, in fact, did omit this aspect of the history, and I was curious about that. So my research really started from those early uh, encounters with patients and learning to be a doctor. So how was this research conducted? This study was conducted using what's called a probability sample of the United States population. And the study, I think, one of its major strengths is that it joins really terrific clinical research methodologies with state-of-the-art social science research technologies. We collaborated with a survey research firm called NORC, which is based here in Chicago and affiliated with the University of Chicago. And working with our social science colleagues, we were able to reach a probability sample of the United States population between the ages of 57 and 85, meaning that these individuals could be regarded as representative of all individuals community residing in the United States in that age group. So what did you find when you interviewed these age groups? Well, one of the first findings was the receptivity of individuals to participating in the study. You know, survey research these days, particularly face-to-face in-home survey research, can be very challenging. People are skeptical of an interviewer coming to the door and letting them into the home to be interviewed. And we were very, very successful in engaging older people in the study, I think because the study touches on issues that haven't really been widely addressed for older adults, but that older adults recognize as very important for their health. This study is called the National Social Life, Health, and Aging Project. And in addition to asking questions about sexuality, we asked very detailed questions about people's social relationships, social networks, the kinds of engagement and activities they were involved with. And we also asked a lot about health. So 75% of the doors we knocked on, essentially, were opened. And once we entered the individual's home, they were very forthcoming and very cooperative in answering the range of questions that included sexuality related questions, but also very detailed health questions. So the fact that they were so open, this surprised you? I don't think it surprised me. I have based on my experience talking with older adults about these issues and knowing that many really regard these as important. I think what did surprise me is how well we were able to train 
a professional workforce of interviewers, but who were not medically trained and who really many of them had never talked to people uh, in the professional setting about issues of sexuality. And the rapport that was developed between our interviewers and the respondents was really a critical element here. So if you break it down by age groups, what were some of your findings? The study was designed to be able to make comparisons by three age groups, 57 to 64-year-olds, 65 to 74-year-olds, and 75 to 85-year-olds. So we had about 1,000 people in each of those age groups, and each of those was divided about half and half to men and women. That meant actually that we had to oversample men in the 75 to 85 year old age group because there are simply fewer of those men in the population. Women tend to outlive men. What we find interestingly, and some may regard this as a surprise, that age alone was a less important correlate of sexual activity and some sexual problems than was health. Uh, and what this suggests is that when doctors are helping patients make decisions about, say, taking a new medication or starting a new therapy, that we ought to not selectively avoid talking about sex simply because of an individual's age, but we ought to think more broadly and counsel the patient more broadly about their overall health and how the treatment or the surgery might affect their sexual function. What factors led to some of the problems? What about medications? What role did that play? So you asked me what might surprise me about this study, and one of the surprising pieces here is, as physicians, we know that some of the most commonly prescribed medications for older adults have negative sexual side effects. On the one hand, treating illness like diabetes, for example, with hypoglycemic drugs can improve sexual function because of the metabolic improvements that come with taking diabetes medications. But there are many medications, including antihypertensives, uh, some complicated issues with antidepressants, cholesterol-lowering drugs, etc., that can interfere with sexual functioning. We prescribe these drugs all the time, and we rarely talk to patients about the sexual side effects. We know that because when we asked all of the men and women in our study, have you, since the time you turned 50 years old, talked to a doctor about sexual matters? And the vast majority of both men and women said no. Uh, about a third of men and about a quarter of women said that they'd ever, since age 50, talked to a doctor about issues pertaining to sexuality. And this is despite the fact that most said that they would be comfortable doing so. What we learned from that is that physicians need to initiate these discussions older patients probably won't. So doctors just don't talk to their patients about sex? It seems that doctors perhaps talk to their male patients more than their female patients, and this might be because we have medications available specifically to treat erection problems in men. So over the last several years, I bet more conversations have been had between doctors and patients, particularly men. Uh, but we're not talking to women for the most part, even those women whose male partners are being prescribed drugs that then increase the male partner's interest in sex. And this means that some women are suffering to try to catch up with their husband's uh, newfound sexual ability. Right. So doctors will ask about sex because it's now something that they can prescribe something for. So if you're a practicing internist or a surgeon or whoever you're seeing your patients in your office, you can feel you can do something about it. You're empowered to do something about it. But with women... If, as you said, if they're not happy or they have problems with sexual function, what can they say to them? What can they do for them? They feel not empowered. So maybe that's why they're not going into that area to talk about it. That may be true. So I think that there are a couple issues in terms of why doctors and patients, particularly in later life, for later life patients, are not talking about sexuality. And even though we know the conversations are happening a little bit more with men, for the most part, uh, most men haven't talked to their doctors about sex. One is the differential availability of, of treatments for men versus women. The other is, and these are 
insights gained by my research with older people is that a lot of the time older women are being seen by a younger male physician and both the age differential and the gender differential can make it difficult for an older woman to raise these issues. Older men and women also identify stigma associated with kind of a long-standing taboo about sexuality in later life. They feel maybe like a dirty old man bringing up the issue of sex with their doctor. Or they feel like maybe they're being just frivolous. You know, they're lucky to be alive. Uh, maybe the, the doctor's treating them for a serious medical problem and the patient feels like the doctor would think that they were silly for raising issues of sexuality in the context of maybe being treated for cancer or another serious chronic illness. And so there are a number of barriers that interfere with that dialogue. So what were some of the problems that men or women separately were having with sex as they got older? So among sexually active men and women, we see that about 50% report at least one bothersome sexual problem. For men, not surprisingly, the most common problem related to erectile function. And erectile uh, problems were higher in the oldest age group, the 75 to 85-year-old among men. For women, the prevalence of problems was more like a constellation of problems. So there were three problems that were common among women and about as common as erectile dysfunction in men. These included low desire, about 40% of women, difficulty with vaginal lubrication, again, 40% of women, and inability to experience orgasm, about a third of women reported these problems. In each case, we asked, how bothersome is this problem for you? And in each case, the majority said the problem was bothersome. This is important because the clinical criteria for diagnosing sexual dysfunction require not only the presence of a problem, but that the individual is bothered by the problem. So the women that were having problems having sex, were they having sex anyhow? Well, so the study asks detailed questions about sexual problems only among those individuals who reported that they'd been sexually active in the prior 12 months. Why is this? And some might regard this as a limitation of the study. Well, it's difficult to ask people in a reliable way, what kinds of problems were you having with your sex life when the sex life might have ended five years, 10 years, 20 years previously? So we are worried about uh, the validity and the reliability of asking people to recall the specific kinds of sexual problems they might have been having that resulted in them stopping having sex. Right. So our questions were limited to those people who were sexually active. And that's important because we're probably underestimating the prevalence of these problems in the population. Some people certainly did stop having sex because of the problems they were having. So they just gave up. Yeah, I think a lot of people do give up. And the other important reality is that women, particularly in that oldest age group, are oftentimes faced without a partner. So it's not necessarily that they're having sexual problems. It's that they don't have a person to engage with. So what are some of the reasons that sex is so important to us that we try to overcome low sexual drive or pain or desire and still want to perform? Interestingly, we find, especially for women, that there are a group of women who are engaging in sexual activity in later life despite the fact that they are experiencing pain with intercourse and despite the fact that they report lack of pleasure with intercourse. Some women, and women more than men, report not experiencing orgasm. So it prompts us to wonder what benefits are people gaining from their sexual lives that outweigh some of these pretty significant problems. Now, from the perspective of women, as a gynecologist might uh, guess, that some of the other benefits, like the emotional closeness with the partner, satisfying the partner, um, maybe outweigh some of those experiences with pain. 
some older women may have always been having sex with pain, and so they've accepted this as part of the experience of having sex. And some women, just like younger women, may lack the power in their relationship to decline to have sex with their partner, or they may be engaging in obligatory sex. We have some questions in the data set that will allow us to understand those things better. We haven't fully analyzed those. From the perspective of men, I think there's good evidence that as men age, they become a little bit more like women in terms of their physiologic response to sex, um, their interests and desires for sex, not entirely, but some of those same reasons may apply to why men engage in sex despite lack of experiencing orgasm, which affected about a third of men in the oldest age group, or despite pain, although that was pretty uncommon among men. I want to thank Dr. Stacy Lindell, who's been our guest, and we've been discussing sexuality among older adults in the United States. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thank you for listening.